Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. I want to thank you for joining us on the Friday broadcast. And you know, every Friday I always say, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. So I hope that you're ready for the Lord's Day. I hope you're ready to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth on Sunday. And I want to share today with you on a broadcast that I'm entitling, What Did Jesus Do? You remember many years ago, we had these bracelets, the bracelets that say WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, I'm going to play a little twist on that. Instead of asking, what would Jesus do? I'm going to go from the angle, what did Jesus do? And so the spirit of the Lord came upon Christ. And we're looking at Luke chapter four today, Luke chapter four, verses 18 and 19. And it says that the spirit of the Lord came upon me. Now that's red letter. That means Jesus is saying this. And he says, the spirit of the Lord has come upon me. And he has appointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to recover the sight of the blind, and to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So as we look at these two verses, we are seeing here what exactly the Lord did on his earthly ministry. And so let's take them one at a time. And by the way, this would be a great example for us on how we should be living. Carrying out the purpose that Jesus lived is the same purpose that we should be living. And number one, we learned that Jesus cared for the poor. Let's call them the have-nots, okay? And the have-nots are those who are poor materially, morally, and spiritually. And as we look at another passage, Luke chapter 14, We're fast-forwarding 10 chapters, and we see that the servant came back and had a report to his master. And he says, the owner of this house became angry, and he ordered the servants to go out into the streets, into the alleys of the town, and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, here we see a banquet that's taking place, and nobody's showing up. And so the master of the house says, listen, go invite anybody. Focus on the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. These are the have-nots. So when we think about meeting the needs of others, we are like Christ when we carry out the mission of reaching the have-nots. All right, so that falls into three categories. Those who are materially poor. We would call them, I guess you could say, financially poor. They are the ones that need assistance for their daily needs, whether it be food or clothing or or shelter. Uh, They are materially poor. We're to reach out to them. But it's not just them that we're supposed to reach out to. We're to reach also those who are poor, not only of the body, but poor of the soul. We would call those who are morally poor, right? Those who have no foundation morally in their life. They're bankrupt when it comes to their morality. We are to reach those. We're also to reach out to those who are spiritually poor those who have no relationship with Christ. Jesus himself said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So Jesus, when he was here on this earth, he reached out to the poor, the have-nots. That's what we know he did. There's another thing that he did. Here's the second thing. He reached out to the brokenhearted. Let's call those those people that are experiencing a major letdown. Those who have experienced major rejection 
major disappointment in their lives. Maybe they're filled with resentment. Jesus went to them. He says, I have come to preach the good news to the poor, and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I know the psalmist talks about when he was crushed by insults. He says, when I felt like I was just sick with disappointment. He said, I had hoped for mercy and pity, but there was none. As you look at our world today, our world is not geared toward reaching people who need mercy, reaching those who are let down. And as a matter of fact, our society has become so corrupt that we want to cast them to the side. We don't want to deal with them. Those who have resentment, those who have rejection, those who are disappointed, uh, we don't want to be near them. But we are told that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, if there's anybody that didn't need to go to church, was we, we could say Jesus didn't really need to go to church, but he made it his custom to go to worship every single week. And you need to make worship part of your weekly experience. You know, I know a lot of people who say, well, I go to church on Christmas and Easter or, or once a month or whatever, and that's it. And uh, I was just talking to a guy earlier today. I was doing some work for us. And I said, now, do you go to church anywhere? And he says, well, I'm one of those people that go Easter and Christmas. And I said, well, that's good. Uh, and I said, I'm glad that you go Easter and Christmas. I said, but, you know, this should be more. You know, the Bible tells us that God wants to have a connection with you on the first day of the week. So the first part of each week belongs to the Lord. So start your day every week with him. You know, Jesus went there and he's in the synagogue. And uh, as he's there for his weekly time of worship, he is the guest speaker that week. And so he's got the scroll, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And that's where he is in the Old Testament. It was handed to him, and he's unrolling it. And in those days, there weren't books like we have. They couldn't pull it up on their version account of the Bible. They had these scrolls, and there's no such thing as really turning pages. Everything was written on these scrolls. And so he had to unroll the scroll, and he specifically finds a passage in Isaiah. Uh, it's actually Isaiah chapter 60. The chapter headings were added later uh, in our Bibles, but it's where chapter 60 would be in verses 1 and 2, where there's a prophecy about the Messiah. And it says that the Savior of the world is coming one day, and it had been written hundreds of years earlier. Jesus takes his scroll and he unravels it to that specific spot, and he's there in his hometown, uh, hometown crowd, and he reads out of the old part of the Bible, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, to recover the sight of the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says, he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Now, why did he sit down? Because in those days, the teacher sat down and everybody in worship would stand while he talked. I think we should go back to that tradition, right? We do just the opposite, right? Uh, We have the pastor stand and everybody else sits. But when Jesus was there at the temple worshiping, he would sit and then the crowd would stand. As you look at this whole scenario, as it's unraveling, 
And Jesus rolls up that scroll and he, and he sits down and he says the eyes of everyone were fastened on him. This is the moment, right? He read the scripture and now he's going to teach about the scripture. They're standing listening to him. And he has sat down after reading the text and he says to them, not that I've got your attention. Well, I added that part. But he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, as I was saying, Jesus actually was reading Isaiah 60, and some of the manuscripts leave out that little phrase, but Jesus adds that little phrase from Isaiah 58. But the point I want to make is this. He'd already been doing this for a year. Why would he stand up after doing this for a year and make an announcement that this is happening today? You've heard the phrase, practice what you preach. Jesus did just the opposite. He preached what he was already practicing. He was already doing these five things when he says, I came to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the prisoner, recover the sight to the blind, and to release the oppressed. He said, I'm already doing these things. So let's continue on our list, okay? So we've learned that Jesus reached out to the poor, uh, the have-nots. He reached out to the brokenhearted, those who had been let down. And then number three, he reached out to those imprisoned, those locked up. You know, within a nine-mile radius of the church that I pastor, Hickory Ridge Community Church, there are over 5,000 people locked up. If I expanded out to another mile, 10 miles out, I'd add another 1,000 people to that. Within that same radius, there are over 50,000 people who are locked up, but they're not behind bars. Uh, did you know that in America? Two and a half million Americans are behind bars. Two and a half million Americans are behind bars today and millions more around the world. But there's a lot of other kinds of being in prison too. You see, the Bible talks about the kinds of prisons that we put ourselves in. Let me give you three or four things that cause people to get imprisoned personally. One of them is addictions. Addictions and compulsions imprison us. When people say, I feel trapped, when they use that word, uh, they're talking about being imprisoned. Jesus says, I want to give them release. I want to give them freedom. Just in the state of Virginia, about 30,000 Virginia residents are locked up. You know, there's another way to be locked up, not only through addictions and not only by being behind bars, but did you know that half of the world cannot read or write? Now, how are you going to make a successful living in the 21st century if you can't read and you can't write? You know, Rwanda, where the average income is about 68 cents a day. Now, think about this. They grow coffee in Rwanda, and they sell it to Starbucks. The average coffee farmer in Rwanda makes enough in one day to only buy a cup of coffee. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's an injustice. There's an inequality there. So there is physical poverty in the world. And it's in Psalm 69 where David says, insults have broken my heart. Uh, that's the first use of the idea of a broken heart, and it comes 
from the Bible. So when anybody talks about having a broken heart, it's actually from the Bible. It's the idea that there's actually broken heart syndrome. I think I've buried a couple of people who died of broken heart syndrome. Not too long ago, I did a funeral of a lady who was married to her husband for almost 60 years. He contracted cancer and and died shortly after the diagnosis. And in less than 11 months later, she also passed. And doctors couldn't find exactly what was wrong with her and said, I think she is going to die of broken heart syndrome. She could just never get past the passing of her husband. You see, as we minister to people, we, we minister to those who are locked up, but it's not just behind bars physically. Oh, we should go to those. Uh, Jesus said, when you go to one of the least of these, my brother, and you minister unto them, you are ministering unto me. And in the book of Hebrews, we are told to remember those who are in prison as if you were imprisoned yourself. And so we reach out to those who are physically locked up, but we also reach out to those who are emotionally locked up and, and battling with addiction. And maybe you're listening to me today, and you've got this stronghold of addiction, and, and this habit has now taken over your life, and your life has now become unmanageable, and you feel trapped. Oh, I want you to know, uh, we can help you get past hurts, habits, and hangups through a wonderful ministry called Celebrate Recovery. Oh, why don't you join us this Sunday night at Hickory Ridge Community Church at 6 o'clock for Celebrate Recovery. It'll change your life. It'll give you the ability to get past those habits and, and past those hurts and past those addictions that are holding you back. So Jesus reached out. He ministered to those who were imprisoned. He ministered to those who were poor, the have-nots. And he ministered to those who had the letdowns, and they were filled with breakdowns. And, and he also ministered to those who were the blind. Uh, the psalmist writes that they were blind. And I guess we could call those the ones that were shut out. Uh, did you know that there are over 50 million physically blind people in the world today? And untold billions who are spiritually blind. Uh, you see, there's so many types of blindness. Uh, there's night blindness. My wife has that. Uh, she doesn't like to drive at night because she has a hard time seeing at night. Uh, some of you may have that. Uh, and some are colorblind. Uh, then there's motion blindness. There's many kinds of blindness physically, but there's also other kinds of blindness that you may have never realized. You know, there's this thing called relational blindness. What is relational blindness? Relational blindness is when you, you don't see how you're messing up a relationship. A relationship blindness is when you don't see your self-defeating behavior and why every time you get into a relationship, it ends. It's called relational blindness. And you go from one relationship to another relationship, and they keep crumbling, and you keep saying, what's the problem? And the answer is, you are. What's the common denominator in all these failed relationships? You. But you don't see it. You, you just don't get it because you're relationally blind. Listen, Jesus ministered to those who had all different types of blindness. Uh, we also see that Jesus reached out to the oppressed. I guess we could call those the ones that have been kicked out. 
the ones that have been oppressed and 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 maybe it was political oppression. John 13:15 we read about the year of jubilee. And Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow. Now do as I have done. And when you think about the year of jubilee, it was a year where debts were forgiven. Those who were oppressed and couldn't afford to pay their debts, uh, those debts were forgiven. You know, others are dealing with political oppression. You see, political oppression is real. Uh, maybe not as real here in America because we have we have freedom, we have the Bill of Rights, and we have the Constitution, and we have and voting and all that. But around the world, and, and in most countries where there are dictatorships, there's an enormous political oppression. For example, you probably don't know that right now there are over 35 million refugees in the world living in refugees camps. 35 million people living in camps because they've been politically oppressed. They've been pushed out of their country. Now, let me give you another shocker. Right now in the world, there are 27 million people enslaved in slavery. 27 million people living as slaves. You say, well, I thought we got rid of that uh, during uh, the Civil War, and we, we did in America. Uh, it's outlawed here in America, but, but it's not outlawed around the world. And, and this will shock you. There are more people today enslaved in slavery today than there, there were the 150 years ago, 150 years ago in our nation during the Civil War. There are more slaves today, right now in the world, than there were 150 years ago. Uh, what are we doing about that? What are the people what are the people talking about slave trade? Where are those who are going against it? And you know the number one cause of that slavery is sex trade. In fact, that's the second kind of oppression, the cultural oppression. Cultural oppression doesn't come from the government, but it comes from the culture that we live in. There are many cultures. You know, as I originally put this message together, it was Mother's Day. And uh, I was working on this on Mother's Day weekend. And so uh, let me just give you some stats about oppression of women around the world. In Asia, there are about 60 million girls who are missing. Uh, They're not missing. They're not simply because uh, they're not simply because in Asia, as a result of Selective sex abortion. Now, what that means is a woman could be aborted because she was a female. And we look at that. Uh, uh, there's also issues of infanticide, where uh, a baby girl is, is, is born and then just dumped or neglected. There's domestic violence and rape and sexual violence and And gender violence is increasing in almost every nation globally. You know, every every year, 2 million girls between the ages of 5 and 15 are sold into sexual commercial sex markets. Slaves. Sold as prostitutes. Sold into prostitution every single year. 2 million young girls. 130 million women have been forced to undergo female mutilation. 
and so-called honor killings. And in some cultures, if the husband feels like his wife looked cross-eyed at him and, and he feels dishonored and, he, and he, has, he has the right to murder her. This is done all the time. In fact, last year, over a thousand women in Pakistan alone were murdered as honor killings. Do you think God cares about that? Absolutely he does. He says, I came for the oppressed, the politically oppressed, the culturally oppressed, and there's one other, the spiritually oppressed. What is the spiritually oppressed? There's another word for it, depression. When you get depressed, when you feel pressured, when you feel oppressed, when you feel pressed in, when you feel stressed out, you're at the end of your rope. You're ready to throw in a towel. You want to give it all up. You're ready to hang it up. You're ready to chuck it all. That's called spiritual oppression. You know, Satan gives spiritual oppression in your life, and he gives you ideas that are depressing thoughts that get you discouraged. Jesus said to all these kinds of people, I have come for you. As we think about that phrase, Jesus says, I have come to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The the year of the Lord's favor. Now, maybe we need to explain what that means. This is neat, and you probably don't have a full understanding, but here's how it goes. First, God had said, I don't want you guys to be workaholics. I want you to rest, and I want you to take some time off. So every seven days, take a day off. It was very important. It's in the Ten Commandments right there along with don't murder and don't commit adultery. He says every seven days you take a day off. And if you're not taking a day off every week to rest and worship, you're actually breaking the commands every week. One of the commands. So it's important. It's it's right up there with don't murder. He says every seven days you take a day off. It's called the Sabbath. Then he says, second, every seven years, I want you to have a Sabbath rest. I you to let the land rest. And uh, every year you do this so that the soil can rejuvenate, so that the crops don't completely deplete the soil. Every seven years, you get a rest, and that's what we're going to call the term Sabbath. And have you ever heard of that, right? A sabbatical. Every seven years in the job, you get a little extra time off to get recharged. Uh, The Bible calls that a sabbatical. The third thing was called the year of Jubilee. So once a week, we have a day of rest. Every seven years, we have the sabbatical rest. And then we have the year of Jubilee, where God said every seven sabbatical years, seven times seven years, 49 years, every 50th year, you're to have a year of Jubilee. Now, let me explain this even further. In the year of Jubilee, he says, four things happened. Number one, every debt is completely canceled. Now, wouldn't that be pretty neat, right? Your mortgage is canceled. You'd only have a four-year mortgage. Wouldn't that be really cool? Every debt completely canceled on the year of Jubilee. Number two, everybody who's in prison for a debt is let go. Debt forgiven, you come out of jail. Number three, everybody who is a slave and indentured servant is given their freedom every 50 years. Four. Every 50 years, the land, no matter how many people have been in there the past 50 years, returns to its original family, the original owner. Now, isn't that interesting? Why did God make this year 
of the Lord's favor for Israel. Well, I think there's three reasons. One, he said that I have done these things for you, and I don't want you to ever forget what I've done for you. God wanted to remind them on the year of Jubilee, after practicing a, a week of rest, the seven years of rest, now the 50th year of rest, I want to remind you that I have set you free. Second, God did it because he wanted people to realize you don't really own anything. It's all on loan to you. You don't bring anything to this world. It's all on loan to you. And the third reason is that was an economic reason. God knew that if you had land and it reverted every 50 years back to its original owner, it would prevent real estate speculation from killing the economy. Now, here's an interesting thing about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is the year of the Lord's favor in the entire history of Israel. Not once did it ever follow it. Not once. As we look at that, there's one takeaway that we must get our rest from the Lord. We preach the good news to the lost. We, we heal the brokenhearted and the depressed. We proclaim freedom to those who are trapped and recovery of the sight of the blind. And then we release those who are fearful. Well, I hope you have a great weekend. And I hope to see you this Sunday at Hickory Ridge Community Church. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.